Brothers and sisters, we depend on the Lord in all our ways, also as we worship him. Let us now rise and express this dependence on God. And let everyone speak with me in his heart. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. The Lord greets you in this morning. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ. The faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let us respond to the greeting of the Lord, singing together um, Psalm 96, the stanzas 2 and 5. Brothers and sisters, we now with all respect put ourselves under the discipline of the holy law of the Lord and let us test our lives on it as on the rule of thankfulness. After the reading of the Ten Commandments, we'll sing together Psalm 103, stanza 7. God spoke all these words, saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. 
You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall do not, not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. And when the lawyer asked Jesus, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law, the Lord Jesus answered and said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets.
Let us now pray together. Merciful Father, we thank you that in your great faithfulness, you kept watch over us during this past night. We pray that you will strengthen and guide us by your Holy Spirit that we may use this day of worship as well as all the days this week in holiness and in righteousness. Grant that we in all our undertakings may always have your glory foremost in our minds. As we devote this day to your worship through rest from, from daily labor, we pray, Father, will you grant us your grace and peace. And we ask that you will so graciously forgive all our sins according to your promises for the sake of the suffering and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Through your grace we are hardly sorry for all our transgressions, Father. So, Lord, please illumine our hearts that we may lay aside all the works of darkness that still remains in us against our will and that we will walk as children of light and that we may walk in the light and live a new life in all godliness. Father, please bless the proclamation of your divine word here and in the mission fields. Strengthen all faithful laborers in your vineyard. And may your word of admonition and encouragement, comfort, uh, be proclaimed to us in truth. So that your people may be strengthened in their faith. We pray, show us Christ, your Son, on this day. And as we devote ourselves to prayer with a view of, in the view of our world's circumstances, we pray for vigilance and strength. There's so much sadness that enters our ears and eyes through the media of wars and calamities. Father, have mercy on those suffering and also on us. Have us also to focus on you in all our thoughts about what we see on the news and what we hear happening around us, also in other parts of the world. Father, we pray for those whom you have set over us, that as servants of you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, they may rule according to the calling you give them. Please give endurance to all who are persecuted because of their faith. We pray deliver them from their enemies. And so destroy all the works of the devil, Lord, and comfort those who are distressed. Lord, show your mercy and help to all who call upon your holy name in this day, in different locations. Father, we thank you that Brother Tim Slack could sustain his classical exam 
and that he will be ordained, Lord willing, next week Sunday in the morning service. You've been good to him and his family in many ways, and we're encouraged by what he, is, what he has received from you also in his training. We ask that you'll prepare him for this important task as missionary. Strengthen him also in his preparation of moving to, to PNG in due time. Father, deal with us and with all our people, all your people, according to your grace in Jesus Christ our Lord. And give us your spirit in reading and preaching your word and receiving it with thankfulness. We pray all this in the awesome name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and through his Spirit. Amen. Brothers, this is I invite you now to open God's Word with me and let us read this morning first from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. <clears throat> First to Corinthians 8, verse 1, up to verse 9, and then we'll continue in chapter 9, verse 6 to 15. The Apostle Paul writes as follows. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he has had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in um, everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also be genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for the sake, for your sake he became poor, so that by so that you by his poverty might become rich. Then we continue in chapter nine. Verse 6. The point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So, Father, reading from God's word. Let us now sing Psalm 111, the stanzas 1, 3, and 5.
I'll now read the text for the service and the preaching of the gospel this morning. Focus will be on 2 Corinthians 8, um, verse 8 and 9, but we also read uh, as an introduction the verses 1 and 2 of 1 Corinthians 16. Paul writes, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also are to do, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And then 2 Corinthians 8, verse 8 and 9. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Loved ones in the Lord, brothers and sisters, what is your favorite part in the Sunday worship service? I'm sure you will say the right thing, the preaching of course. Or maybe if you're a bit younger you, you say, well, I like the collection of the offertory by the deacons the most. It's a bit of time for a little talk, maybe share some lollies, listen to the music, time that I don't have to sit still. Maybe you like to study your collection money a bit, maybe the excitement to be able to hold the collection bag, even giving it to the, the deacon afterwards, proud as can be. Whatever, this case, whatever the case, this part of the liturgy, the collections, has always been a very human experience, or not? Of course, our experience of this part of the liturgy is, is age-related. Yet scripture is clear that it is a profound part of our Reformed Covenant liturgy. We might sometimes go through the motions of the offertory without realizing the worship aspect of it. So this morning I would like us to go through scripture and, and particularly our text to see how the offertory is more than just putting money in the collection bag. It is a real joy and a moment of worship. And so I preach to you the gospel 
this morning under the theme, The Joy of Worshipping Our Lord on Sundays Through the Service of Offering for the Needy. We ask two questions, who defines the offertory and second, what blessings flow from the offertory? And sisters, have you ever wondered why we have an offertory during the church service? Why bring money to church for the needy if we could simply add a few dollars to our fortnightly or monthly fixed voluntary contributions? And is bringing cash to the church not a bit of, a bit outdated? If all other payments are done by debit or credit card or internet banking, is it not better to have a, a FPOS machine at the foyer and every family just tap and go with their bank card as they walk in or out of the church? And, and if any, anyone then becomes needy, they can just apply online for, for financial support from the deacons. And we don't have then those embarrassing moments with the children dropping their collection money or, or deacons having to walk up and down the aisle with bags. We could even cut our church service with, with uh, five to seven minutes. So why? Why having the offertory as a separate item in our liturgy? We find the clue for this in the ministry of mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. He came to serve the poor, says Philippians 2 verse 7 to 8. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death of the cross Christ set the example of public servanthood his work on this earth wasn't done in secret not at his, at his incarnation, nor when you return to heaven, at his ascension. Jesus didn't just tap and go his suffering credit card on his heavenly father's FPOS machine on the cross. No, his whole life was one big worship service, honoring glorifying his father in every aspect of his life on earth. And he did so publicly amongst God's people. And in the service he also provided all the needs of the poor, also poor sinners like you and me. And, and the amazing thing, brothers and sisters, is that, that the whole of the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, points to, to this servanthood of Jesus Christ. The offering for and the serving the needs for the poor was, was embedded in, in nearly every law and, and prophecy in the Old Testament. The law of Moses was filled with all kinds of care for the needy amongst God's people, even for the foreigner in their midst. And especially on the feast, uh, days of festivity, there was ample opportunity God gave for his people to, to demonstrate their care for the poor. 
They brought their first fruits to celebrate with all the Old Testament church the salvation that God has given them. But the link here was, was the atonement made by the high priest with the blood of the Lamb. Worship, giving to the poor, based on atonement. That is the core of offering. And this all was a, was a shadow of Jesus' worship to his Father in the redemption of poor sinners. This also continued after his ascension. During and after Pentecost, the New Testament church followed Christ in his way of, of service and, and praise. Acts 2, up to verse 4 and later, tells us that God's people met for worship in, in homes and various other existing structures. In Acts 2, verse 42 and 45, we read... And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And connected to that, they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And these offerings involved in their worship service, they were solemn, meaning they were organized, they were purposeful. But they were not extremely formal. The act of collecting was not overtly demonstrated. The offerings were simply placed at the feet of the apostles so that none among them would have need. Acts 4 verse 34. And so as the church continued to expand, more precise functions of worship service in the worship service developed. And therefore we find what we read in, in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 and 2, concerning the collection. And Paul expands this concept so that today everything that we have and are uh, needs to be a well-pleasing gift to God, Romans 12, verse 1. And so the thank offering became normal and continues it, it includes includes the fruits of praise from our lips Isaiah 14 verse 2 it, it includes the, the expression of the heart Luke 6 verse 45 and above all the confession of the Lord's name Romans 14 verse 11 and in this line we, we see that the thank offering became a means of praise in the worship service. The author of Hebrews teaches this in chapter 13, verse 15 to 16, where he says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruits of lips that acknowledges his name. But also, verse 16, do not neglect to do good. And to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And with, in this way we, during the collection, express to one another and to God that all that we possess 
All that we do is holy and dedicated to God. The church later chose certain brothers to administer these gifts. Paul instructed Timothy to appoint deacons, gifted brothers, to serve the tables of the needy. And in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he instructed them, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside something aside, storing up as he may prosper. Now, in the text, it was for the church members in Jerusalem, most probably for the needy amongst them who suffered during the, the famine, somewhere between 44 and 48 AD. So it was not just the collection for the need in the congregation, but for the brothers and sisters in other locations. But it was the sharing of possessions, the supplying of needs, and the caring for fellow churches as, as an act of corporate worship. And Paul, Paul's letters to the Corinthians focus on this aspect of worship. And, and it adds a dimension to it. Because he made it clear that worship by way of offering, as well as any other form of worship, must be from the heart. And so the whole man, you and I, when we give in the collections, must worship God with our whole being in spirit and in truth. And this is his point in, in, for example, 1 Corinthians 13, 3. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, both being elements of sacrifice, but have no love, I gain nothing. So Paul teaches and taught the churches that the attitude, let's say the emotion, the thoughts, shown by the offerings need to be in the New Testament pattern. And later, as we read in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 12 and 13, Paul says that the administration of the service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God. In the original text, Paul's words, administration of the service literally says the diaconial application of this liturgy. The diaconia, the, the offerings made in the liturgy are, so to speak, sacrifices of God witnessing Christ's work in the congregation. It's thanksgiving to God for salvation. And that's why we, in the service, give for the collection, for the offertory. It's a matter of sacrificing. Of course, we don't try to copy Christ's sacrifice on the cross. We can't repeat his nor add to it. But our offerings are, are a, a liturgy, a, a priestly service to God. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice by paying for our lives with his precious blood. 
And therefore, every element in our Reformed liturgy, in one way or another, points to him and his act of salvation. And thus, as his members, members of his spiritual house, we offer our lives, our money, and a weekly tribute before his throne of grace. Our prayers, our praises, and not less our monetary offerings, serving the needs of the uh, needy members of this spiritual house is the call that we have to do publicly what Christ showed us. And so our ultimate goal in worshiping and serving God is not just giving for a good cause, but it is an expression, a heartfelt expression of our covenant relationship with God. He is our heavenly God, a commander and king. And we are representing the glory of his kingdom here on earth. And so our offertory is a sign and a proof of our following of Christ. Our relationship with him. Our subjection to him. This means that instead of feeling, having feelings of embarrassment when the giving of cash in the collections bag, we, we, we may feel sincerely thankful for the privilege that all of us, rich and poor, may live in this covenant relationship with him and display that in the offertory. And so we may stand in awe for his amazing gift that caused us to give with exceeding joy. This brings us to the second aspect. What blessings flow from the offertory? Brothers and sisters, we saw that our worship is to be from the heart. And Yet the offerings were organized and, and ordered. Paul exhorted the churches to, to plan ahead for the worship of giving. That's what we read in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 1 to 4 and also 2 Corinthians 9 verse 5. No, Paul was not interested in, in let's say, pomp and ceremony during the collections, but that the outcome of the collection might be equality, might be structured. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 13 to 15 says, For I do not mean that others should be eased or burdened, but that is a matter of fairness. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And so the 
the purpose uh, of our offering should be known, made known beforehand. The passing of the bag should be the time of thank offering. A moment of, can I say, meditation. We give with a particular effort. The Apostle Peter wrote to a group of churches in Asia Minor in his first letter, and in it, he creates awareness of much suffering in those churches. But Peter instructed and exhorted his readers to, to trust and obey in spite of the suffering. This was the same case in Paul's letters. The people of Corinth, the members of Corinth, um, had, to, had to echo, had to take or, or do the same as, as the churches in Macedonia. While being poor, while suffering, they still gave in abundance because they gave themselves. And so in a sense, our giving, our offertory is, is also a matter of suffering. Let go of what we tend to hold on to. Because today most of us can only identify suffering with inconvenience. And rather than endure it, we, we strive to eliminate it and, and thereby have convenience in, in everything. But Paul and, and Peter also exhorted the readers to, to endure. Make this moment of worship also a matter of, of suffering. Please, Paul says in verse 9, disperse abroad. Give more. Spread. Give to the poor. And the way he, he, he works it out is, and, and this alludes to Hosea, Hosea 10 verse 12, that God who supplies seed to the sower will multiply their seed, their material resources, and thus increase the harvest of their righteous deeds. So our suffering, our giving, the righteousness worked by God's Spirit is one of the results, one of the beautiful um, blessings of our offertory. And indeed, congregation, what, what spectacular blessings. What spectacular blessings flow from generous giving in the worship service. Because generous giving people enjoy sufficiency. Not by worldly standards, but by godly standards. And they harvest righteousness that goes far beyond themselves. And so you see that the offertory is not just an embarrassing or a relaxing moment in our Reformed liturgy. The impact is endless, even beyond our church boundaries. 
the church-wide benefits of such giving can be huge. Because thanksgiving to God will abound, verse 11 and 12. And this abound, Francis, doesn't mean that the Corinthians' enrichment through giving always implied material prosperity. Their financial condition would wax and wane like ours. But every time that they brought their offertory on the first day of the week for the poor, the local needy, and those in the wider church will pour out more thanksgiving to God. And so the Corinthians embrace of the, of the gospel would be proven not only by their confession of their faith or their belief, but also by their submission to the grace of giving and also their generous contribution to the poor church in Jerusalem. Because there in that city, the Jewish church would praise God for the demonstration of his righteousness amongst the Corinthians. The Jewish church would know for sure that the Gentile church was for real. That their heart was on the right place. And they gave with joyful hearts, praising hearts. And they would know for sure that the Gentile church were part of the new covenant in Christ. They might not even have understand their language because they couldn't speak Jewish. But they knew them to be brothers and sisters in Christ. So the church-wide benefits of ready, willing, generous giving then and now are remarkable. Thanksgiving to God, glory to God, and a bond of affection also within the church. So our congregation, as Paul caps his explanation of God's blessings, he can scarcely maintain himself. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gifts. You might say, well, okay, Paul, calm down. It's nice to see you're glad. No, Paul here couldn't find a word to express the ineffable character of God's gift through the ministry of offertory in this congregation. And so he made up a Greek word translated with inexpressible. This word appears nowhere else in the Bible. But the word says it all. It's an amazing effect that the gifts, the offertory of the congregation has locally and internationally. Which means that his call to, to ready, willingly, and generously giving to needy is, is first, firstly not a a call to, to reach down deep into our wallets. Rather, it's a call of authentically coming to Christ in true belief and worship. It's a call to contemplate Christ, 
giving as the example for our giving, the embracing of the poor, that we might become rich in Christ. It's not a call to a, a legalistic observance in our Sunday Reformed liturgy. But Paul says it's a display of joy in God's grace. It's not a call to save ourselves, but to demonstrate by our giving that our faith is not in vain. And so having offertory or collections for the poor or for needy churches is simply to affirm God's faithfulness, God's covenant word for his people. And so we give. Either the last couple of copper coins, like the poor widow in the temple, or the abundant paper cash, because our God is a generous God and blessed us in Christ our Savior. And, and also having his deacons visibly collecting our cash, cash offertory in the worship service and, and eventually sharing it with those in need is a far greater and a more, more joyous acknowledgement of, of Christ's powerful work in the church than just simply swiping your bank cards or, or tapping it on the F-Post machine at the entrance of the church. And so, brothers and sisters, we are blessed to worship in this manner as well. Blessed to be able to give with joy to those in need. Blessed that we may worship the Lord in our offertory with heartfelt gratitude for the salvation we have in Christ. Praising him for his servanthood, but also in providing for his bride in all her needs, also for the needy in her midst. So let us rejoice, let us worship him for his love for us. Let us continually say, when we give in the collections, great is the Lord God in majesty. Though I'm poor and needy, or though I'm rich and wealthy, the Lord himself will heed me in Christ and through his spirit. Amen.